Welcome to Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis, your host. As a writer, speaker, and former legislator, we discuss limiting government, fiscal responsibility, and fair taxation. I'm a mother of seven and a wife of one for over three decades, so I bring you my personal experience. And now it's time for Homefront with Cynthia Davis. And it is another great edition of Homefront. I'm so happy you could join us tonight. I am Cynthia Davis, and tonight we have a very special guest. We have Mark Lerner, who comes to us from the Constitutional Alliance. And tonight he's down in Arkansas helping us get a grip. Let me read the mission statement from the Constitutional Alliance. It says, The Constitutional Alliance is a coalition of individuals and groups committed to preserving state and national sovereignty and unalienable rights to life, liberty, and property as pronounced in the Declaration of Independence and protected under the Bill of Rights. Who can't get excited about that? Thank you for joining us, Mark. How are you doing tonight? No, I'm doing great, Cynthia, and it's a pleasure to finally be on your show. As a person well, who uh, lives in Missouri and uh, has done so for over 20 years, it's a great opportunity for me to reach out to fellow Missourians. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to finally get a chance to interview you because one thing that you have in common with our listeners is we all do care about the Constitution. We do care about the Declaration of Independence. We do care about the Bill of Rights. And just talking with like-minded people and helping to dispense information is going to pull us all together, help us connect the dots, and I believe that we are the beginning. We are the synergistic center of the movement that's going to correct the nation. And it may take a while, but we're here. We are here here we are strong we are brave we're out there being courageous and pushing for the very liberty that our forefathers gave us now i was reading on your website and i had an interesting little uh, question for you because you know next week is the fourth of july and here we are coming up on the anniversary of our nation and and you wrote this you wrote The 4th of July, to me, is no longer a time to celebrate, but rather a time for prayer. Of course, that's always a good idea, especially during these tumultuous times. You wrote, the 4th of July is a time to pray for forgiveness for not preserving what God has provided. It's a time to pray for our children and grandchildren. So what has happened to this country that we feel like it's time to pray? What's going on? Well, I'll tell you, really what we've done in the country is we've disregarded the Constitution. And it's not just at the federal level. A lot of the states are doing the same thing. And when I say we've dis, you know, basically discarded the Constitution, we've created in our country what I call a surveillance society. Uh, you know, everything that we do leaves a digital footprint now. And that digital footprint is being captured by agencies and departments of the federal government. Uh, 
And basically, it's the federal government's business right now to know everything about everybody. And that's counterintuitive <clears throat> to what our forefathers had in mind. Uh, one of the greatest protections that we have is our right to anonymity. If you want to go out to a rally or you want to support a certain issue, you shouldn't have to worry about is the government capturing your facial image and using that image and comparing it to DMV databases to determine who you are. And that's exactly what's happening today. Government is intimidating people. It's not just their telephone information or emails, but in terms of surveillance itself, using closed-circuit television cameras, <clears throat> smartphones, <clears throat> and we're looking at now using drones. By the year 2020, it's estimated that we'll have 30,000 drones flying over the United States. So now, a lot of our listeners, what, let's, yeah. just for the sake of our listeners, many of them are very astute, but for those who are new to the show, what is? can you define what is a drone? Well, a drone is an unmanned aerial vehicle. It's called UAV, unmanned aerial vehicle. And typically we've used them overseas uh, for surveillance purposes, but we've also weaponized drones to take out terrorist suspects. Uh, and our problem here is what we've done in the United States now is literally brought the battlefield onto our country and the same devices and tools that our military is using, our local and state law enforcement is using the same things. And we've crossed the line. But what I really want people to understand is the importance of when the government collects your biometrics. And biometrics, we commonly think of fingerprints, iris scans, DNA, <clears throat> but our facial image itself, the photograph on a Missouri state driver's license and every other state, <clears throat> and it doesn't matter if your state is real ID compliant or not, that photograph is being captured with a certain resolution or pixel count that is specifically used for facial recognition software. What that means... And it works... Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, it works whether you're smiling. You know, some people have driver's licenses where they look really ugly and they're just frowning and unhappy. They look, And, and then other ones, like my last driver's license, I had a really great smile. My hair was perfect on that day. I couldn't believe it. And so you're saying that biometrics... When you go to get your license removed, renewed, it, it actually takes, they, they're using our facial image for more than just checking out if we can drive or not? Absolutely. <clears throat> and this is true in every state. Uh, the Constitutional Alliance is working with state lawmakers all over the country to educate them. Most people don't realize in the United States we have one vendor that provides nearly every driver's license in the United States. And it's true in Missouri as well. That vendor is called Morpho Trust. Morpho Trust. 
Now, MorphoTrust is a wholly owned subsidiary of a French company called Safran, S-A-F-R-A-N. And Safran is the world's largest biometric company. Now, biometric simply means measurement of the body. That would be the technical definition of what is a biometric. And as, we sa as I said, we commonly think of fingerprints, iris scans, DNA, but we don't think of our facial image as a biometric, and it is. So when you pass by closed-circuit television cameras or law enforcement has a smartphone or down the road with drones, when they capture your facial image, they will be able to connect to DMV databases and be able to determine your identity by using facial recognition software. You know how I figured out they could do this, Mark, is uh, I don't know if you're on Facebook, but I am. And one day I wanted to post some pictures, and Facebook offered to auto-tag them for me. And while that might seem very convenient and handy because you just click one button and all of a sudden 20 photos were tagged of one person. And I wondered, how did they do that? Because you're supposed to have to work hard to tag your friends, for goodness sake, you know? it's <laughs> and, and that's when I realized that even Facebook is most likely using biometrics. Have you heard anything about that? No, Facebook is specifically using facial recognition software. You're absolutely correct. But what I want people to know is in 2005, when the Real ID Act was signed into law by President Bush, nobody really looked at the rules. And the rules are what determines how an agency is going to implement the law. Now, the Real ID Act really affected two federal agencies, the Department of Transportation and the Department of Homeland Security. The Department of Homeland Security issued rules for the Real ID Act implementation. And on six, page 68, footnote 17, buried in the rules, <clears throat> you'll see the standard for the facial image, the photograph. And it says specifically that standard is derived from the ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, and then it gives the document number 19794-5. So as I've gone around the country testifying before legislative committees in different states, and I show them that we're not just creating a national identification system, we're actually enrolling every American citizen into a single global system of identification using biometrics, which links your body to your ability to buy, sell, and travel. And that's very important, of course, to Christians as we look at the book of Revelation. But this is critical. People don't think about this. In order to be able to open up a bank account, conduct financial transactions, in almost every state today, pick up you know, a prescription, you have to provide your driver's license. And now what's happening is retailers are, are what we call swiping your driver's license, collecting the information that's on the front of the driver's license because the back of the driver's license has an area that we call the machine-readable zone. 
MRZ. That area is not encrypted. So anybody, a retailer, an agency, a state agency, can swipe the back of your driver's license and collect all the information that is on your driver's license. So you are literally being enrolled into a global system of identification and financial control. And well, Americans do don't even your, realize it. Do you have to give your driver – you don't have to give your driver's license to a retailer, though, to buy stuff. More and more you do, especially when you return items or if you're mm -hmm. going to pick up a prescription. More and more states are passing laws that involve the use of a driver's license. Even voter ID laws now in many states require that you provide your driver's license. And what, now, what's I... happening is the driver's license is becoming a one-shoe-fits-all-sizes document. And that's not what it was intended for. I remember in 2005 and when, when the Real ID law was signed, and we were, I, I mean, I have to say that the Republicans in the Missouri House of Representatives passed a law to opt Missouri out of the Real ID. And, and I think it, it was interesting because that was a time when our Congress was all Republican in both the House, the Senate, and, and the White House. Am I correct? Yes. And so yeah. why would the Republicans, the party of limited government, want to pass a, a real ID law, and what actually did they pass in 2005? Well, the reason the Republicans did it is at the time you had a Republican president, and for all intents and purposes, the Republicans thought they would maintain control, not just of the executive branch, but the legislative branch and the Supreme Court. So the Republicans did it as a way to give Republicans more control over people. They didn't envision a time when Democrats would actually control the Senate or that you might have a Democrat that is a president. And now what's going on, you have to remember, this bill was authored by Representative Sensenbrenner from Wisconsin. And the Real ID Act itself was basically, it was attached to two other pieces of legislation. One was tsunami relief. The other was a military uh, spending authorization bill. So what Sensenbrenner did was attach Real ID to these other two pieces of legislation that had bipartisan support, and it assured that Real ID would pass and be signed by the president in the law. And well, even though Missouri passed a law prohibiting participation in Real ID, what's come, what's you know, was revealed last year not just in Missouri and other states, is the bureaucrats that run the Department of Motor Vehicles in the different states, they've been continuing to meet what we call the first 18 benchmarks of Real ID. And once the state meets those first 18 benchmarks, they become Real ID compliant. Dandy. Okay, let's ask you um, a few more questions about this Real ID First of all, 
I'm proud of you for speaking out against it because there's, there are too many people who don't know and they figured it's too complicated. I can't figure it out. I'll just leave it up to my government to do it all for me because of that trust factor. And we want to trust our elected officials. I remember when somebody came into the speaker's office and set up the retina identification equipment and somebody came into the house chambers and said that they would like all the representatives to take a turn going into the speaker's office and looking into this thing and I thought to myself I don't think so <laughs> I don't want well, to uh, <clears throat> give them my retina that's not theirs to have it's my business and I know it was a sell job because they wanted to get the buy-in from the elected officials but there's a point when we must not turn off our brain and we have to engage in the question of what are we doing to ourselves because we do believe in the Fourth Amendment that says you're not allowed to search people or their papers without a search warrant. And so when the government wants to search innocent people who've committed no crime, it's time to throw up the red flag and say, wait a minute, not so fast. So what do you think, you wrote this um, about on your blog, that right. the, over the years the Constitutional Alliance has consistently fought against mandatory biometric ID and for the right of all citizens to be free from it. Government-mandated right. biometric ID is the linchpin in the modern surveillance society. Well, let me ask you this. Back during Hitler's reign in Nazi Germany, they didn't have any of this biometric stuff, and they were plenty capable of rounding up over 6 million Jews and, and people who were handicapped and people who protected the Jews and throwing almost 11 million into gas chambers and exterminating them, and that's before they had any of this new technology. So I guess if the heart of man decides to be evil, how how are we going to fight against it? Well, first of all, uh, I want to go back and address Real ID. In addition to requiring that the photo meet international standards for facial recognition, I want people to understand, it doesn't matter if you're in St. Louis, Missouri, or Paris, France. A surveillance camera, because of the international standards and agreements our country has with other governments, a surveillance camera, CCTV, would be able to capture your facial image, be able to identify you, and track you. Number two, the Rule ID Act gave the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security unfettered discretion to decide for what official purposes a real ID compliant driver's license would be needed for. Now, Congress passed three official purposes. One, to get on a commercial airliner. Two, to enter a federal facility. And three, to be able to go into a nuclear power plant. Now, the Secretary of Homeland Security can add additional official purposes. If, for instance, the Democrats, let's say, don't get the gun legislation that they want, the Secretary of Homeland Security can say, and Congress right now would not have the ability to stop this, the Secretary of Homeland Security can say, 
If you're going to purchase a weapon or ammunition, you have to provide a real ID compliant driver's license. So that's another egregious part of the Real ID Act. But what I want people to understand, the Real ID Act is bad enough. As part of comprehensive immigration reform, which is now under consideration in both the House and the Senate, there's a requirement in there that employers provide Department of Homeland Security with a photograph of the individual that is either already working for them or is somebody that the employer is considering hiring. And the Department of Homeland Security is going to create their own photo database. So I want people to understand, you know, what the federal government has is an addiction to our personal information, including our biometrics. And the Constitutional Alliance is working with groups like Electronic Freedom Frontier, uh, the EPIC uh, Electronic Privacy Information Center, the Liberty Coalition Cyber Privacy Project. We are working with different groups to inform lawmakers on the Hill in Washington of exactly how onerous the comprehensive immigration reform legislation is, how much more power it provides the Department of Homeland Security. And the other thing I want people to start thinking about is whether we're talking about terrorism, uh, we're talking about identity theft, illegal immigration, health care. If for every issue that comes up, we're going to give away a little bit more of our freedom, what's going to end up happening over time is we're not going to have any freedom left at all. We will be strictly, and I argue we already are, we are already living in a surveillance society, and you cannot reconcile a free society with a surveillance society. What does that mean, that you can't? we can't be free if everybody's monitoring us? No, you, you're not free. Psychologists have a term. It's referred to as the observer effect. And what the observer effect is, is that people know they're being watched continually. It alters their behavior. It intimidates people. And I don't want people, if people want to go out and support Ron Paul, or they want to support a Democrat, whoever it is, they may want to support. They should be able to do so without worrying about, worrying whether the government is capturing their facial image, identifying who they are, and putting their name on a watch list. That level of intimidation cannot exist in a free society. You know, if people want to be free of terrorist acts and free of crime, I tell people, North Korea has very little crime, and North Korea has very few terrorist acts, if any at all. But yet, the people have no freedom at all. So if, you're going, if your goal is to have freedom, you must be willing to accept some risk. That's really good. So what happened in Germany that they could round people up without having to have any real ID act passed? And, and how, how can we protect ourselves if a government chooses to become corrupt? 
Well, in Germany, what happened is they used two things. Number one, identification documents. And number two, they literally tattooed numbers on people's arms. Uh, so today, you could take what was done in Germany, a government could, and do it much more quickly and efficiently by using biometrics. And that's a real problem. You know, our, our legal system, the foundation for it, the bedrock for our judicial system, is the presumption of innocence. So if we're going to require everybody to, you know, provide their biometrics, whether it's facial recognition, iris scans, or even DNA, if we're going to require that, then what we're doing is destroying the presumption of innocence, what, you know, which is the foundation of our legal system. Well, let's talk about Safran for a minute because you say here that this is a French company that admitted to a 40-year partnership with China. And, of course, it's important to know who the enemy is and why are we allowing a foreign country to have access to our databases with the motor vehicle licenses. I mean, this this part... It's a great question. Flies. Yeah, it, thank you. It's a great question. So Let think? me explain to you how this happened. For years, the biometrics industry was losing money, okay, year after year after year. And then when 9-11 occurred, the biometrics industry industry saw a chance or an opportunity to profit. So what the biometrics industry did was focus on the federal government, believing that there would be large contracts coming from the federal government. Well, it didn't happen right away. So what happened is biometric companies continued to lose money. Now, the biggest biometric company in the United States after 9-11 was a company called Visage, V-I-I-S-A-G-E, Technology. Now, on the board of directors of this company, George Tenet, Louis Free, you know, George Tenet, formerly the director of the CIA, Louis Free, the director of the FBI, Admiral Loy, formerly the head of the TSA, Frank Moss from the State Department. Well, all these people were on the board of directors of Visage Technology, and Visage Technology morphed into a company called L1 Identity Solutions. Well, L1 Identity Solutions continued to lose money. So what happened is Saffron, which is the largest biometrics company in the world, was permitted to buy L1 Identity Solutions by the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, which is a committee under the control of the Treasury Department. But what's interesting about this, it's not just that this French company, a third owned by the French government, a company that has offices in Russia and China, uh, is providing almost every driver's license in the United States involved in the production of enhanced driver's licenses and U.S. passports. Michael Chertoff, the former head of the Department of Homeland Security, the secretary, he represented Saffron as a strategic advisor, ensuring that Saffron would be able to purchase L1. 
So that's how this French company came to own the largest document, uh, you know, production company in the United States, which was L1 Identity Solutions. Well, now we're at a point, though, where you say the Real ID Act is a symptom. It's not the disease. And I agree with you. There's a level of trust with the elected officials that has been lost, that for them to feel like they can give away our privacy without where who are where are those elected officials in congress and 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 even on the state level who should be screaming bloody murder that that is an invasion of our privacy why are why are we not hearing any brave statesmen standing up and saying don't do it we're not going to do it this is america you don't take our identity from us and and give it away to other countries I mean, this is an outrage that goes to a level where if people understood what we're losing, we would put a halt to it. I believe that the American spirit doesn't tolerate this. Can you explain that one? Very easily. Each year, lobbyists spend about $3 billion a year, 3B with a billion, you know, billion, dollars a year lobbying the members of Congress. That works out to about $5.5 million per year spent by lobbyists influencing each member of Congress. Now, I want you to think about this. The members of Congress, who many times it would cost $25, 50 uh, even $100 million, depending on if they were in the House or the Senate, they need those kinds of funds. And that, by the way, that $3 billion a year is not including campaign donations. So the people in Washington, the members of Congress, they look to the vendors and the lobbyists, you know, to provide donations for their campaigns. I mean, when they want to take travel junkets and go off to other countries, you know, when lobbyists are spending $3 billion a year, you have to be smart enough to know as a citizen as a citizen that the members of Congress are going to be influenced more by that three billion a year than they are by the by the citizens, by us, we the people. And it's I go to Washington quite frequently and I can tell you, uh Sandra Coburn's chief of staff, his former chief of staff, Michael Schwartz, Michael passed away in January he was one of my closest friends. And every time I would go to Washington and walk up and down, you know, the Russell Building and the other buildings that members of Congress are housed in, you would see 12, 15 lobbyists lined up to get, you know, to see either a member of Congress or one of their congressional staff people. So what kind of, you know, influence are we the people going to have when money has so corrupted our system. Well, I've been to Washington also in the Russell Building, and I know exactly what you're talking about. And I've gone with the women legislator groups and the ALEC groups, and I, I've seen what we need to see, but I still don't understand the betrayal because at the core base, 
there needs to be a loyalty defined and something in the hearts of the legislators needs to know that they they should side with the people who put them in office. I appreciate your trying to explain it to me. I, I remember too well as as a legislator how it felt going there, but selling my soul wasn't ever on the table any more than selling one of my children. It, it, you don't. There's some things you just don't give away. And when you're representing our national sovereignty, anybody who would have voted for that needs to apologize to us, don't you think? Well, they should, but they won't. Uh, Okay. You know, I hope, you know, I want people to understand this. The Constitutional Alliance, we're an organization made up of private citizens, state lawmakers, ministries, and national groups and state groups as well. We're probably the best-kept secret in the country. But if people go to constitutionalalliance.org, just spell it out, constitutionalalliance.org, they'll see the most recent articles that I've written. Uh, One of them is about globalization. And people will find this amazing. Our government each year, well, we produce this thing, it's called Vision 2025 is the most recent one. And what Vision 2025 does is it tries to predict what the world will be like in 2025. So what it does is it provides the policymakers with all these potential challenges we're going to be facing. So the policymakers go to the vendors you know, the companies, the corporations, and say, these are the challenges we're going to be facing. What do you have in your cookie jar that we can pull out and use to help protect us against these challenges? And the vendors, they're all for using biometrics and all kinds of technologies that allow Americans to be basically spied on. Okay? So... You have to understand how how policy is determined in the first place. When I tell people about this document, Vision 2025, they've never heard of it. Yet it's a document produced by the National Intelligence Committee. And the head of the National Intelligence Committee is the Director of National Intelligence, the DNI. So... If people want to know where is our government going, look at our website, read the document. It's not me saying it. It's our government saying it, that we are moving towards a a globalist, if you want to call it that, a globalist world, okay, Uh, one where there will be global governance. Now, to Christians... This is expected. We're told that that will happen in the book of Revelation. And we are primarily a Christian organization. And I've been on all three major Christian television stations talking about biblical prophecy. But here's where, you know, I try to point out to people, if you look at Matthew 24, 9 and 10 and Mark 13, you will see that we will be hated by all nations Christians will be turning on Christians. Even sons will be turning on fathers. So we're told 
that we are going to be hated by all nations. In the book of Revelation, we're told that the Antichrist will rule over the world. And you're either going to accept the mark of the beast, or you're going to be put to death. Well, never before in history has both the political will and the technology existed for biblical prophecy, as it talks about in Revelation, being fulfilled. But today, because we have total global biometric enrollment using international standards, and you only use international standards to facilitate global information sharing, so we have the biometric enrollment, we have the ability to buy and sell is tied to our driver's license and our body through biometrics. We are one step away from literally seeing biblical prophecy fulfilled. Now, I don't know who the mark of the beast is. I don't know when he'll be revealed. You know, but I do know this. Everything that we're told in the book of Matthew and in the book of Mark, Mark 13, and what we're told in Revelation is playing out today in society. And people need to remember this. God is all-powerful. God doesn't need a a surveillance society. God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. God is everywhere. Satan, on the other hand, needs man to do his dirty work for him. So Satan has man create a surveillance society for the day that we have global governance. And I can tell you, there is an international biometrics foundation headed by a gentleman named Julian Ashbourne. And he has openly said, we need a global agency with global powers. Wow. So, well, I remember when I was running for office one time and I wanted access to a list of what voters to mail my mailings to. And I talked with my mail house, and the manager there told me, we can buy a list. We can buy data that shows what people, not exactly how you voted in the last election, but we can buy a list of people that says, Pretty much who, what, when, where, why, and how. I mean, if you buy a certain size of underwear at Walmart and paid for it with your credit card, we can pretty much figure out. <laughs> that, that, well, actually, that, they, can do, I, <clears throat> they can do more than that. I can do data mining companies like uh, Axiom and uh, ChoicePoint, and there, there are a number of data mining companies. They literally... They know what magazines you subscribe to. Uh, they know what uh, Internet providers you use. Uh, they'll know what charities you give to. <clears throat> they'll know what retailers you buy your you know, clothing from. Uh, data mining companies collect every bit of information about you. And the largest customer of data mining uh, companies is the federal government. So... What the federal government does is they bypass the Privacy Act of 1974. The Privacy Act says if the federal government's going to collect this information from you, they must tell you that they're collecting it and what it's being used for. But if data mining companies collect it 
and the federal government purchases it from the data mining companies, your personal information, it doesn't fall under the purview of the Privacy Act of 1974. So that's how the federal government gets away with knowing everything about you. Wow. Well, you know, I appreciate you enlightening us to a higher level on what all they know, but why would they be interested in knowing all these details? I mean, I, as an elected official, wanted to know because I wanted to know who had a propensity to vote for me. But but why, why is the government that interested? Very easy to answer. <clears throat> On our website, uh, theconstitutionalalliance.org, I wrote an article, and basically the issue I addressed is our country is juggling so many problems, so many issues. We all know about the national debt. It's over $17 trillion now. We know we have a problem with illegal immigration. We know we have a problem with health care. We have a problem with education, incarceration. We have the highest incarceration rate of women in the world. We are dealing with so many problems. Infrastructure is failing, our roads, our highways. When you're dealing with this many problems, what I call juggling this many balls, it's only a matter of time before one of those balls hits the ground. And once one of them hits the ground, more of them will hit the ground. So what our government is doing is putting in place measures, giving itself power so that when these balls start hitting the ground, that the government is able to retain order so there isn't chaos. And they believe it's well-intentioned, you know, this idea that a few should be able to decide for many. But the fact of the matter is, you create more chaos when there's no transparency in government than you do by letting the people just go out and have their voices heard. But I'm telling you right now, we are fighting this. The Constitutional Alliance, one of our board members, has filed a lawsuit in Oklahoma. And the heart of the lawsuit is, should a person be required to provide their biometrics in order to acquire a state driver's license or state identification card? Whether it's a digital, we're not against photograph on driver's licenses as long as they're low resolution and they're not facial recognition compatible. But if somebody is an Amish, then we support their right to have a valid without photo ID. The Amish, it's against their religious beliefs to be photographed. So we support people's religious rights. Kay Beach, one of our board members uh, who filed this lawsuit, she has Ben Sisney, who was formerly with the American Center on Law and Justice, and the Rutherford Institute are representing Kay Beach. Now, KBEATS just filed a motion for summary judgment this past week. The argument that we're making to the court is all the evidence that needs to be heard has already been submitted to the court. We don't need to go forward with the trial. The court has enough information to be able to make a ruling in case favor now. This is the only time that a lawsuit like this has been filed in the states. 
The only time. So she, and we have she the went best to, legal counsel representing Kay. She went to court because she was driving without a current driver's license, correct? She was ticketed in uh, in Cleveland County, Norman, Oklahoma, for driving with, uh, with an expired driver's license. Uh, the attorneys went into court with her. The prosecutor or the district attorney dropped the case. The attorneys walked in with 40 pages of legal briefs, and the district attorney said, no way am I going to fight this. So those charges were dismissed. So Kay turned around and filed a lawsuit in state district court saying, I need a driver's license, but I shouldn't have to provide my biometrics. And one of the causes of action for the lawsuit is her religious beliefs as a Christian are being violated when she is being enrolled into a global system of identification and financial control. And people can go to our website, theconstitutionalalliance.org. They can read the lawsuit. They can read the motion that was just filed last week. We have a section on there for what Christians need to know. But we also support non-Christians in their efforts as well. So we would okay, ask so all your Yeah. <clears throat> what about the Muslims who want to cover their faces? That's a different story, and I'm glad you brought that up because we have been asked about that question specifically. The Muslims covering their faces, the women that use burqas, they mm -hmm. want to maintain that the burqa when they're in public. If I'm an Amish and I want a valid without photo ID, just my driver's license doesn't show my facial image. But when I'm out in public... I'm not wearing anything to cover my face. So the burqa issue is a separate issue. Because with the burqa issue, the, the real issue is, do we want people walking around in our country with their face completely covered? Now, I would argue people have a right to do that, like people that belong to the group Anonymous. Okay, they wear the anonymous mask when they protest or show up at rallies. But the burqas with Muslims, that's what they do all the time. You know, you really don't know if you're dealing with a man or a woman underneath that burqa. And that that's right. does become a compelling interest of the government to know if, in fact, they're dealing with a man or a woman. You know, it's a, it's a separate issue. And we don't believe, first of all, I would argue, and I know a lot of people would disagree with me, that Islam itself, I have a problem with it. My God would never say to me, do not allow people to come to, for instance, Jerusalem. Okay? Jerusalem is open to people of all religious faith, Jews, Christians, even Muslims. But if you turn around and you look at what Islam does, you're not allowed as a non-Muslim to go to Mecca. They're holy cities. Well, my God would never say you can't go to a holy city. So I question the validity of Islam as a religion to begin with. And when they say they worship the same God I do, I simply say that's not possible. 
My God would well, never prohibit people from going to a holy city. Uh, the what, well, let's talk a minute about immigration because you say that the most incredible acknowledgement ever of incompetency by the federal government happened when they set out their goal to catch 29% of the people <laughs> that are entering yeah. the country illegally. And uh, if our government is aiming to get 29% of the people, that means 71% are going to get through. Well, so, here, here's the issue. Here, Here's the context that that comes from. It's not me saying it. Everything that I put on our website, or other people do, that are part of the Constitutional Alliance, we use government documents. We use studies and other information. We're not saying it ourselves. In this case, it was the Inspector General over the Department of Homeland Security. And what the Inspector General said specifically, when it comes to our ports of entry, the Department of Homeland Security, which is over immigration, had a goal in 2010, was the last study, of only capturing 29% of the illegal goods or people entering our country through ports of entry. Now, it's not me saying it. It's the Inspector General saying it, and we provide the actual document on our website. Well, here's the problem with it. We want to have standards. And I remember a few years ago when I was in the legislature and I realized that we have nothing in our law saying you have to be an American citizen to vote in Missouri elections. You only need to state where you live. <laughs> that is not the same as, as uh, and you sign this form saying I'm qualified to vote, but goodness. So I set out to on a quest to see if we could find a way to tighten that up a little bit, and I was told that it would be virtually impossible to have a way for people to demonstrate that they're actual U.S. citizens before they can be allowed to vote. And it's this not. frustrated... Well, here's the yeah. We're trying so hard to here's the thing. operate with. Let, let me answer that question. Part of the lawsuit that Kay Beach has filed, the judge will look at the compelling interests of the state, and then weigh: is the state meeting that compelling interest in the least restrictive means possible? Now, I want everybody to think about this: when you go to get a driver's license. I don't care what state you live in, your birth certificate is accepted as a primary form of identification in every state in our country. When you provide your birth certificate to your Department of Motor Vehicles, you are proving your citizenship when you get a driver's license. So this idea that you know you have to prove to the federal government that you're a U.S. citizen is nonsense. Now, people say, well, wait a minute. You know, somebody can use my birth certificate if they get a hold of it, or they can counterfeit a birth certificate and use that and not provide their real name. No, actually, there's a way to stop that from even happening, and it deals with 
what we call the Department of Vital Statistics in each state. We lay it out in a lawsuit. People can read about it. But the point is, you prove your citizenship when you apply for a driver's license by providing your birth certificate. That is proof you are a U.S. citizen. Well, that's really what prompted us to ask, start asking, how can we validate people's authenticity? And I'm sure that the biometrics efforts are, are an attempt to solve that problem, but perhaps we're looking down the wrong road for they the wrong... They don't solve you know, it. Yeah, they don't solve it, Cynthia. I want, think about this. Two years ago, three years ago now... We captured 11 Russian spies in the United States. In each case, we had the biometrics of each of those Russian spies. But because they used fraudulent, what we call breeder documents, to get passports and other documents, we didn't know who the people were, even though we had their biometrics. I'll give you another example. And we documented on the website uh one of the, I think it was the Congressional Budget Office, it may have, may have been the General Accounting Office, they did a report about people in the Middle East were moving to Venezuela and Mexico, and they were getting legal name changes. So they were changing their names from Arabic names to Hispanic names, and then they were getting passports and other identification documents in Venezuela and Mexico, crossing our borders, and our Border Patrol agents thought they were dealing with Hispanics, when actually they were dealing with people from the Middle East. In each case, we had their biometrics, but we didn't know who they really were. It's not the biometric that really determines your identity. What determines your identity is the breeder document. And a breeder document is what we call your birth certificate, a Social Security card is a breeder document. A baptism record would be a breeder document. The breeder documents are what determine who you are. And we address that in the court case. We don't want people to have more than one driver's license and different names. We don't, we don't want people to have multiple driver's licenses in different states. But we provide a way in the lawsuit to address those issues without biometrics. Well, good for you. I'm very grateful for your group that has been doing, you know, on the cutting edge. This is what we need is people who care enough to engage in the fight. And I'm sure it's very stressful on Kay being the linchpin here, letting everybody use her in a, as an example. But thank Kay for all of us. Because that's what it comes down to. You know, the governmental intrusion is, is, you know, government was supposed to be our friend, not our enemy. It was supposed to be our servant, not our master. I remember a few weeks ago, my 10-year-old son was invited to a jumping party, a birthday party at, at some one of these gymnastics place where you jump on all these trampolines, and it sounded like fun, but... They make you sign a release form saying that 
I, I realized that my son could die or be maimed or injured for life or suffocate. And by the time they get done with the disclaimer, you're like, I wonder if the DFS is going to come after me if I say I, I don't care if my child gets hurt. <laughs> well, but, I know, can tell you, Cynthia, the reason, you know, I reached out to you. Uh, because I really want to see you run for state office again in Missouri. I want pe the people of Missouri to understand the kind of person you are, the values, the principles that you hold dear. Normally, I'm in about 25 states a year. I don't have a lot of time to spend in Missouri. I've been to the Capitol many times there. I've raised issues that lawmakers have taken the ball and run with. But usually I'm in other states or I'm in Washington. And I want your listeners, regardless of their, if they're from Missouri or any other state, to go to the constitutionalalliance.org website and read the information. I could tell you every organization you can think of, from the Campaign for Liberty, uh, EPIC, uh, the ACLJ, any group you could think of, literally, Ron Paul groups, have all used our information. We don't charge people for the information that we provide. So I would ask people to go to our website, and if they feel inclined and they think the, the work we're doing is worthy, to give generously, generously to the Constitutional Alliance. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit so their contribution should be tax deductible, but especially Christians who understand scripture and biblical prophecy, go to our website and ask your pastor to take a look at the information. They will see a consistency between what is happening today in the world and what we're told in scripture. Well, that sounds great. Thank you for all you're doing. Is there any one last parting word you have for our listeners? Yeah, I would say to support you when you run for office. <laughs> I know Very I good. will be. I, I would <laughs> Thank say you, support Mike. you and go to constitutionalalliance.org. That's a good word. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's been a true pleasure to have you. Well, God bless you and God bless your audience. And you too. This has been another edition of Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis and hope you enjoyed our program. Please join us next week when we offer another infusion of truth, honesty, and solutions that will grow people bigger and shrink government smaller. Thank you for joining us. See you next week. Yeah.